You're listening to a sermon from the series, Church 101, an FFC teaching series through Titus. For more sermons and information, visit our website at firstfamily.church. I'm not going to talk about leadership for something like a country, because that is temporal. Do you know that? I didn't say it was unimportant, but it is temporary. But God's church is eternal. And we're going to look at something this morning that I think is more important than our country's leadership, and that is the leadership in the body of Christ, the church. To do that, I want to start by introducing you to our church's leaders. And this morning, we're going to do that in about three waves, we'll call it. All right, we're going to start with our elders. We're going to move to our deacons, and then I want you to meet our staff. And these three groups would kind of comprise what I would call our primary leadership. There's other leaders, there's informal leaders, there's small group leaders, yes, but these three would be the groups that I think kind of comprise the, the primary leadership in the church. So elders, will you join me please on the platform? I'll have you introduce yourselves in a moment. As they're making their way to the platform, all of our elders... I'll introduce to you one who is beginning his three-week examination today to be an elder at First Family. So Aaron, would you please stand? Aaron Crabb, on my left here. Aaron uh, has been through a number of interviews with the elders. Uh, his doctrinal questionnaire, he filled it out. It was a delightful book to read. Um, we had a good testing on it. And um, he mentored with one of our current elders for two or three um, meetings and encounters. And so... They came back and said, hey, if you're ready, we're ready, I'm ready. And so today Aaron comes before his church, and he says he'd like to serve as an elder. And he begins what's like a three-week examination time by the whole church. We were saying to you, we vetted him and the best of our ability. We would love Aaron to serve with us as an elder. Uh, but we want to make sure there's a time period for you to do the same thing. So Aaron and his family, they're right there. You have three weeks just to lean in with questions, talk to him, pick his brain, um, if there's something biblical, then let us know. Uh, if it's a preference, enjoy the body of Christ. Amen. Um, but we are, we are just delighted and pleased that, that God would raise Aaron up for this task and uh, lead him in this way and his family as well. So that's today. He's beginning his three-week examination period. And I want you to make sure you do your part. If nothing is brought biblically, then in three weeks he'll join us. And we are excited about that. So help me thank Aaron for his willingness to serve as an elder. And his family, too. Thank you. That's good. Men behind me are currently serving, and we serve together. Just so you'll know, we are one body that serves the church as its leaders. I'm not more authoritative than any one of them. It's one body of authority. There is varying influence among all of us, yes, different gifts and skill sets. But we act as one when it comes to the authority of the church, and we act under God's authority, all right? So we don't have any inherent authority. We actually just stand on God's authority. And our goal is to shepherd the church, to teach the word, to make disciples. And as I count it a real humble joy to be able to share that privilege with these men here. Chris, start with you and just tell them who you are so we can all meet, uh, they can all meet us. My name is... Whoa. I'm the loud one. My name is Chris Eller. Good morning. Now that you're awake... I'm Travis Walker. I lost my voice. I apologize. I'm Brad Miller. I'm Tim Coleman. Tony Didlow. Ed Gregory. 
Amen. So these men serve. Of course, you see some on the, on the board behind me at our Bondurant campus. They're not at this campus. They're out the other one. But together, we, um, you may say like this, we, we serve by leading. You'll see that the deacons lead by serving. It's one of the ways you can kind of keep the difference in mind. We ask you, as we do twice a year, to keep us accountable to these scriptures in 1 Timothy 3. Let me read you them for you. This is what we men, and Aaron will join us, Lord willing, are committing to you, and we're asking you to hold us accountable to these. This is a, say, this is a trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, where the word is bishop or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. We've committed to those biblical requirements, and we are humbling ourselves before you, even as your leaders, saying, hold us accountable. And you're welcome to interact with us as well, okay? So I know I, I get a lot of appreciation from you guys, but sometimes these guys are a little more hidden, a little more background. Could you show them your appreciation and thankfulness this morning? Thanks, guys, so much. Our second group are deacons. So deacons, will you join me up on the stage, the ones here at this campus, all of our deacons, will you join me? This is another group of leaders at First Family, leaders in Christ's church. I told you that elders serve by leading. I think a good way to look at deacons is they lead by serving. So you may also see it this way. The men who were up here previously, they handle the, the spiritual aspects of our church. doesn't mean they don't lay carpet, clean bathrooms, they gladly do that. And many of them, they serve the nursery, they do a lot of things. But a lot of them, uh, as a whole and as an individually, we serve in, in the spiritual aspects of, of counseling people, mentoring, discipleship, prayer, the word, teaching. And these guys enable us to do that more effectively because they handle a lot of the physical aspects of church. In fact, did you know that primarily the only difference between a deacon and an elder in the scriptures is that one's required to be able to teach, and that's an elder. It doesn't mean that deacons can't teach if they want to, but there's no requirement. But an elder has to be able to teach. And so I just thank the Lord for these men on behalf of our elders. Thanks, guys, for serving so faithfully in so many physical areas so we can continue to shepherd the church. We really appreciate that. Uh, we'll start with Tom. Tom, tell us your name, and we'll go down the row here. Our Good morning. My name is Tom Urban, and I'm in charge of the culinary aspects of the church. <laughs> I'm Brant Carr. Hi, I'm R.J. Parks. I'm Greg Davidson. I'm Ryan Levang. I'm Ben Roby. Kevin Nickel. Gary Henderson. These men have willingly come up under these verses. And together, they ask you to hold them accountable to what God would say to deacons. Here's what the Lord says to deacons. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So in this chapter in 1 Timothy, God lays out requirements for elders and deacons, what we believe are the two offices of the local church. And so, man, on behalf of our church, thank you for serving, first of all, and thank you on behalf of the elders for just teaming up with us to help lead and shepherd this body. Will you help show my, our appreciation to these guys, would you? Amen. Thanks, guys, so much. Thank you. And then the third group that I think makes up the church leadership here at First Family is our staff. So we're going to have another bunch of folks join me on the platform. Can we do that? If you're part of our staff, will you go ahead and join me on the platform? You'll see that in this group there are some elders and there are some deacons. I feel like that's a good thing that we have some um, mixture like that. Um, over half of these folks serve in a part-time capacity. So what you're looking at is not all full-time people, but they all serve with full-time hearts. And they love the Lord Jesus Christ. They uh, love you guys. And we're here to serve you and, uh, and to just minister and, and, and lead as well. Um, so we'll start over here again. Chris, if you would, when you start, uh, give your name and then tell us kind of what area you focus in so these folks will know. And I hope you'll see this as, as you've seen the elders and then the deacons and the staff. I hope you'll, you'll see faces and names and hear kind of labels about where they minister. And that you'll not be afraid to engage them when you're outside in the, in the cafe or in the gym or in the children's wing. Uh, inter- interact with them. Converse with them. Uh, we we want to get to know you. We want to serve you. And sometimes we can't always do that without maybe some initiation on your part as well. So here's our staff. Go ahead, guys. My name is Chris again, and I work with our small groups, which is how we connect together as a family in a smaller setting, and with administration, which I like to think of as the machine of the church, and if it's working well, you don't know it's there. I'm Travis Walker. I run the youth ministry. Brad Miller, family ministries. Josh Scow, worship leader. RJ Parks. I'm the uh, senior VP of operations. There's one in every crowd in there, I tell you. I'm Miss Becky, or Becky Doubleday, and I'm the children's director. I'm Heidi Height, and I'm a children's ministry assistant. I'm Joni Boone, and I help oversee the administrative aspects of the worship team and the worship services. I'm Jen Coleman. I'm the office manager. I work with Chris and RJ. I'm Cynthia Gregory, and I'm administrative assistant for Pastor Todd. I'm Tanner Battles, and I'm the Communications Director. I'm Steve Noble, and I also uh, help out with the worship ministry. And you may see some names up there that aren't here visible this morning. Uh, These are the guys that kind of do a lot of the work. And so I just want you to see them. So these guys, the elders and deacons, together would comprise what we call our, our leadership. And so often you hear me or you hear us say, the leadership of First Family, what we're talking about are three groups. What are they? Our elders and staff. So can I just encourage you that as you get to know our elders and deacons and staff, that's one of the best ways to have some impact in our church. It doesn't discount other leaders or other informal influencers. 
But God has given us a great team of elders. He's given us a great team of deacons, and he's given us a tremendously gifted staff. And I want to say personally to you guys, uh, you know, we were here on day one. Brad was here on day one. I'm looking around. I, Steve was here pretty close to the beginning. Joni was as well. You know, it's, it's a real joy to watch our teams grow. I mean, there were days when there were two of us, three of us, four maybe, and we just trying to get everything done. And uh, it's, just, it's a delight. It's a humble delight to see so many gifted people, elders, deacons, and staff, say, Todd, we'll carry this, we'll carry this. Because it has definitely freed me up uh, to focus on things that perhaps are more in my strong suit. And I just want to say thanks to you guys for helping me do that and for joining me in this work at this church. I love all of you and your families. I know this church does too. And we as a team are here to serve you, all right? Help me thank our staff, would you? Amen. Thanks, guys, so much. Appreciate it. I'm curious if RJ is the VP. I'm trying to figure who the president is. I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> what I want to focus on today, now that you've seen those three groups, I want to focus really on just that first group for a bit. It's the one that is talked about in Titus chapter 1 off the bat. In fact, when Paul commissioned Titus to stay in Crete, it's an island, his first assignment was to appoint, to ordain elders. In other words, let's get the leadership thing right off the bat. I love what Chris said in our Lighthouse curriculum this week. And just talking about why leaders matter and why was this the very first thing? Because wrong leadership will probably teach you wrong doctrine. If you get wrong leaders teaching wrong doctrine, you're going to end up with a bad church. Does that make sense? And so Paul just goes after the bullseye, the target, doesn't he? He says, Titus, there's some things still kind of lacking in these churches on the island of Crete. I want you to first and foremost ordain godly, qualified men to lead the charge. Notice how he words this in Titus chapter 1. Let's just read the first nine verses. It will sound somewhat similar to what we just read in 1 Timothy 3. My goal today is to explain this text just somewhat briefly. It doesn't need a ton of explanation. I want to give you some applications of it in our own culture here. I'll take a few questions. Primarily, I'd love to see our kids asking some questions today. They're with us. I want to give you an illustration kind of live from the stage using some family. So we'll kind of do some interactive stuff here. The goal being that we'll understand and appreciate God's order of leadership and his structure uh, and see the beauty of it and humble ourselves up under it, all right? Here's Titus 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Now the rest of this, it's going to be a phrase that kind of modifies that main part of verse 1. He says, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Woo! <laughs> Paul can write some long sentences, can't he? To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete. Paul is saying this to Titus, his true son. So that you might put what remained, more literally there, arrange 
or straighten out what uh, may put what remained into order. There were some things lacking, and Titus is to kind of straighten them out, arrange them, bring some, some organization and order to the churches there. As I directed you, he says he's to put in, put remained, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And now here's a description of these elders. You'll notice this beginning in verse 6. These are the kind of men he's to appoint. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Woo! Anybody else feel like I'm already out of the running? I mean, it's just, what a list, right? Wow. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction. Notice the process there. Someone taught him, and now he's able to teach others. So can I just say this to you with a pause in this verse? Look at me, every eye on me here. I don't know who's here that's 12, maybe 8, maybe a 15-year-old young man here, but that very well could be a future elder in this church. These four boys here. I look over here at these boys. This young man. I mean, I see these guys around the room. They're young. They're here today in our family service. You know where elders come from? They come from the chairs and the classrooms of your local church where they're being taught every single week the faithful word. And years pass, and you think, man, I, I, this, this is taking forever. <laughs> Raising kids is, is a long process. And, but you stay in one place. You ground your feet there. You learn doctrine. You build relationships, you don't quit, and then suddenly you turn around, your kids are 20, 25, 30, and you see, man, they're a much better leader than I ever was, <laughs> and you feel like, oh, the church is in good hands. You see, I think pastors, elders, deacons and staff, and church members should have a long-term view of what it looks like for a church to last generation to generation, and bringing in an expert, hiring a pastor, and maybe nothing wrong with that. But I think what Paul shows here is that there, there's something about men who've been taught then teaching others. There's a process that must be in place within a local body. That's something I'm very passionate about. And we have a staff, we have deacons and elders very passionate about it as well. Which is why I say to you, don't leave the first time you don't get your way. Stay put. Plant your feet in a single body as long as you can and watch the beautiful work of God unfold generation after generation. Watch the little kid that you invested in at VBS. When you're over at Sunnyview, look back and say, I had that kid in VBS. <laughs> and he's leading the church you were at. Man, that's fruit. You can't, you can't purchase that kind of fruit. You can't buy that kind of system. That comes when people stick together, band together over time, learn God's truth, love each other, and watch God build and raise up leaders for his church. That was not anywhere in my notes. <laughs> and so he says here, you know what, this guy, he's been taught, he also gives instruction so that he can also then 
rebuke those who contradict it. Here's a description of the elders that Titus was to appoint. Can I show you from a big, maybe 30,000 foot view, how I break this passage down? I'm doing this today with our lab to kind of make sure our kids have some interactive uh, breaks along the way. So if you have a Bible and you want to mark in it, here's how I would suggest uh, marking in your Bible on this chapter, okay? I won't do a whole lot here because there's a lot of text, but if I were looking at this chapter, which is about leadership, specifically what kind of leadership? Elder leadership. I would say that he talks in 1 through 4 mainly about the foundation of leadership, all right? He says that, that Paul here says that that he's an apostle of God. And then he has this phrase, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Now, I told you earlier that the rest of that, they're good phrases, but they basically are, are kind of phrases leaning into this first phrase. What Paul is showing us here is that the foundation for church leadership really is God himself. In fact, watch this. What happens here is God is mentioned as one who never lies. He um, promises things and he manifests his word. So in other words, God's work happens. Because, watch this now, watch this. Because of who God is. So though Paul, watch this, though Paul does what he does for God and for them... He knows that what he does isn't based on him or them. Did you catch that? Every pastor, every elder in this room needs to hear this. We do do what we do for God and for the church, yes. But what we do isn't based on the church, per se. It's not empowered by us or them. It's empowered by God. God's the foundation for leadership. He is credible, he never lies, and then he manifested his word. So there's this sense in which these verses talk about God's character as displayed through what he says and what he does. Don't forget that sentence. With me? Follow me. There's a sense in in these first four verses about the foundation of church leadership in which we see God's character being being very important to what he says and what he does. His character and his word and his work. That same pattern is going to show up about elders. Because as you get to verse 5, I would circle these, and I would just simply say, and you don't have to write all over your Bible like this, but I would say these verses, 5 through 9, talk about the formation of church leadership. So 1 through 4, the foundation of church leadership. It's God. The formation of church leadership We'll see what that is. It's in the home. It's in someone's life. It's by other trusted men and women. So here's how a leader is formed. We're going to look at that a little more specifically. But if you had to break this apart, I would say those two kind of words would form kind of the, the real big view of this text. Let's take a few more minutes now and look at the um, formation of the elder, of church leadership. Let me break this down for you a little more, Okay. I'll just simply refer to my Bible here. You can mark these in yours if you'd like. Verse 6, I believe, describes the general requirements of an elder. 
when he says this. Watch this. He is above reproach. The husband of one wife and his children are believers not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. What does he do there? He lists the three main areas of an elder's life. His own personal life, his marriage, and his family. Does that make sense? It's pretty simple, isn't it? So if you, if you want to know, can a man qualify to be an elder in the church? What does, it, what does it take for a man to say, I want to be a leader in a church or for a church to recognize leadership in him? There's three areas you got to look at. His own personal life, his marriage, and his family. I mean, it's kind of clear cut here. What he does now in verse 7 is he kind of goes more in, uh, in depth into the character aspect of this man who is married and who has kids. This, this man who's an, who wants to be an elder, leading the church. What, about it, what is it about his life that enables him to be a one-woman man, to have children not open to the charge of debauchery, to be above reproach? He's going to get more in-depth here. Verse 7, for an overseer. And you see the word for in verse 7? That explains why we know he's giving us more information about this, this leader. For an overseer is God's steward must be above reproach. Notice that's mentioned twice now. See that? It's the only, only trait really mentioned twice in this chapter. It means blameless, not open to a charge. So an elder must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Those are five negatives he's not to be. Did you catch that? Here's six positives. But he is to be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, I could go through each of those over the next two or three months and just talk about each trait. I'm not going to do that today. I want to just simply give you one nugget about them that I think will help us all in understanding them. Because if you look at that list, you'll be like, whoa, I don't think anybody really fits that category. Like, I know something about you, Todd, that it disqualifies you. Yeah, I saw you one day when you, and you can fill the blank in. I heard about you one time when you, or Brad, or Tim, or Ed. Yeah, I know 15 years ago, I mean, I heard about Ed, so I don't know why he's up there. Yeah, we could pick each other apart and cannibalistically eliminate every single person in this room from eldership. Except for one grammatical aspect of the text, which God so beautifully put in here. In this passage, as well as 1 Timothy 3, all of these character traits are what we would call a present infinitive. In other words, what we're looking for is men who, in the current, this is what they are being. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean you've never made a mistake. There's only one who's lived that way. His name is... And he's our chief shepherd. He's the ultimate elder. Amen? Well, what Paul is saying here is look, look for men who, who are living this way currently. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't show some kind of pattern and that there's not a backstory to all that. We're not, you know, well, hey, today I've done right. Can I leave the church? We're not saying that either. But neither are we saying that just because, you know, 10 years ago, so-and-so person, man, they were really away from the Lord. But God sought them and, and brought them back and restored them. And they're a different man today. 
That's what we're looking at, the man today. Is there a pattern that these things are in his life or not in his life today? Does that make sense? So I hope that brings some sense of relief and like a, from the men in this room. Because who doesn't have some things in their past? Amen. Who doesn't remember a conversation you wish you could undo? Are you listening to me? Who doesn't have an action they wish they could eliminate? A memory they wish they could forget? Grace is enough. And so we say, God, if this is what you're after, I'll come up under that, and I will be that in the current to the best of my ability and the power of your spirit, and I'll work to be that way on a regular basis. These are the kind of men, these five negatives that we're not, these six positives that we are. Men that are this way, by the way, I think, experience verse 6. They have the kind of life and the kind of marriage and the kind of family that you would look at, watch this church, don't miss this, that you would look at and say this, if they did that well with their physical family, I would trust them with my spiritual family. Man, let's just be common uh, sense, uh, let's just address the common sense plain fact. Isn't that what we think? And when we see someone's like, man, that, that's a messed up situation. Like, he's kind of goofy, that family's kind of weird, and why would we want him as an elder? See, I'm saying things you've thought. God is not out in left field. He's not. He's making plain, common observations that make sense. If you want to know if someone can lead this spiritual family, look to one environment. Can they lead their physical family? How are they leading their own life? You may think this is kind of like, whoa, man, that's a punch in the gut. But it brings our focus back to what's necessary, and that is every man taking care of his primary responsibilities first. And everyone said? Let's kind of put this in a single sentence. It's not, you know, again, it's not hard to understand. You find the foundation for our leadership's God. The formation of it, I believe, is both in our character. It's seen first in our homes, and then it kind of ripples out from there. The conduct of these men, it says in verse 9, is that they are taught and then they are able to teach. And so you find this man of good character with some kind of scriptural conduct. He's helping people with the word. He's able to contradict those who have false teaching. He's able to encourage those who are, are trying to learn more. And so he's got this biblical proficiency about him. And he's got this quality of character about him. And we see that it's shown up in his family. And so we say, oh, well, the, man, that's the kind of man that we would love to lead our church. Here's how I put that in one sentence. In fact, would you read it with me? In God's family, leadership responsibility demands character credibility with scriptural proficiency. Now, I mean by leadership responsibility specifically elders. All right? And that's why we tag on the end of this the idea of scriptural proficiency, the ability to use the word correctly to encourage the church, contradict those who oppose sound doctrine. In fact, look with me at the first word of verse 10 for a moment, would you? Do you see the first word of verse 10? What is it? Four. He goes into talking about those who would, who would try to subvert the church. Verse 11 says they must be silenced. An elder must have the capacity 
and the willingness to know God's truth and then to wield it effectively. In humility, yes, but yet courageously. Why can they do that? And why would people listen to that? It's because they've built a a life of credibility through their character as displayed in their home. Oh, well, look, look how it affected his own kids. Look how he and his wife... Yeah. And look at the church. So, so, yeah, I'll listen to that. They may disagree still, but they'll listen. And so that's why we come back to this simple phrase that I think kind of sums up Titus 1, 1 through 9, both the foundation and formation of church leadership. And that in God's family... The kind of leadership responsibility we know as eldership demands character credibility with scriptural proficiency. Now, there's an implication I want you to get. This is not on your notes. Kids, you have a handout, you might want to write this down. But I want to just kind of throw this out to you. You may see it as four implications. It's really one. And it kind of flows together. Based on Titus 1, 1 through 9, we can deduce the following, that the church is a spiritual family. Notice he uses the word elders to describe its leaders. That's a very familiar word, isn't it? Like, like a father, like, an, like, a, like a grandfather, like someone that's taking care of you, a paternal kind of situation. The church is a spiritual family. Families require order. Could someone on that just say hallelujah? You with me? Families without order, I mean, chaos... It's difficult to grow up in chaos. And so order is required for families to work well. It's true spiritually. Guess what helps order? Leadership. It's essential to order. Someone willing to say, let's go this direction. Point the way. And what's essential to leadership? What enables people to listen to you? Credibility. This is a, a clear implication from these verses. That the church is to be a spiritual family of order. You can read 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, those four chapters, where Paul actually ends by saying, let everything be done decently and in order. So for that to happen, in our spiritual family, we need leadership. And what's essential to leadership? Credibility. Now, Let me show you how this looks in real life. Can I borrow someone? In fact, I'm going to choose this family because I know I can trust them immensely. Um, But Can I use the Robrands? You guys got here early. You sat down. All of you there. Your kids are here. Could all the Robrands just come join me on the stage? Be great. And I had to throw that qualifier like I trust them. See, now they're not going to say, oh, we've got to kick him later. You know, they're, they're just not going to do that. So you guys stay here. Todd, join me on the stage. If Todd were to say, and I chose someone not an elder currently. If Todd were to say to me, this Todd to this Todd, hey, I think I'm interested in eldership. I desire a noble task. Here's how the process looks pragmatically. Here's Titus 1, 1 through 9, through the lens of, like, let's say, the non-theologian, okay? So Todd comes up here. So we look at Todd. We just kind of look at his life, and we ask him about his discipline, his character, And he gives us answers. Are those answers true? You know how we'll find out? (laughs) Am I speaking falsely? (laughs) Hey, could someone just nod and say, yeah, that's that's the truth right there. 
If you want to know about someone, just ask their family. And while they'll tell you at times, like, yeah, man, one day my dad, but, but they'll tell you the truth is, like, man, oh, my dad, I mean, he loves us. He serves us. He sacrificed. They'll tell you the truth. Like, the pattern of his life is no laid out for you. So we see Todd desire to be a, an elder. So we ask, we talk, communicate. But at some point, we're going to say, okay, is that true? So we bring his family up. So you guys circle around him. I ambush your dad, okay, your husband. Yeah, there we go. Just go ahead and circle all the way around. Just like the perfect. So we're going to see, we're going to see, okay. So is his life and what he believes, is his character showing up here first? Because if what he says about his life isn't showing up here, why do you think it would show up there? So let's say, wow, man, you can lead our church. Look how you led your family. So then, uh, is his small group here? Where's his small group? If you're in Todd's small group, you join them. Just come on up and circle around their family. Can you do that? If you're in their small group, and if we don't have an, oh, we got it. Oh, we got plenty. Yeah, that's awesome. You guys come on up and circle around their family. Wow. It's a church plant. I like this. This is awesome. <laughs> Let's go with this, Todd. I can sign off this afternoon on this deal, right? I'm, amen. No, you got to circle around. You're going to have to go around there and circle on that side. Can't leave an open space. You're good. Circle around. Do you see this, guys? So we'll let this represent the church. Now, no one small group is uh, the church in totality. But small groups are a part of this church. And so we see Todd, who says to us personally, yeah, I desire to, to lead in this way. So we start and find out, okay, is that true in his family? And we say, wow, that is true. And then we start looking at how it works in the church. This is Titus 1, 1 through 9. A man who personally has developed character, credibility, to the extent that it shows up in his relationships. First in his home and then those around him. So you could even say this, and we'll use this example. If this were to be Todd's desire, we would actually at some point just say this, Todd, it seems that God is already using you in this way. Let's recognize God's calling on your life as an elder and let's give you a platform to live that out. Because while it seems like you're already doing a lot of that, does that make sense? In fact, we don't call elders. We recognize God's call upon elders. This is why it is important that the church as a whole be looking at the men in our church and asking this question. You think God's called them as an elder? And where do you first look to find out? in the family, and then the next room of relationships, and then perhaps the next circle of influence. You see, it's not rocket science, is it? It's not brain surgery. This is church 101. And the best church leaders are exactly that because they've proven to be the best home leaders. And can I just say to you while they're up here, the worst church leaders... Most of the time, we should have caught it because it showed up previously somewhere else usually. But sometimes we get in a hurry, we're rushed. 
Hey, guys, thanks for the example. I appreciate it. Let me show you this in pictures. Let everyone find their seat. Here's how this looks in pictures, all right? We saw a man with character. We saw a man showing that character and building credibility in his home. And then because of those two things, we saw that lead to leadership in the church. Does that make sense? So let's say those three words. Character, credibility, leadership. That's Titus 1, 1 through 9. And as, as men around us begin to exhibit that in their homes, they're teaching well, their, their wife and their children are following. We say, oh, well, let's see if that also carries over to our church. And it's just, that's, that's the way this thing works. It's not meant to be complicated. I really hope you'll have a lot of fun talking in your small groups about this because I think sometimes, and this is a personal opinion here, I think sometimes we make church leadership in America, we make it very difficult. Like we, we have all these questions and wonder. I think it's actually quite simple. Let's read these passages. Look at their home. And if there's a match, let's go to the next step. If there's not a match there, why keep talking? That's kind of how I see it. Now, this, these truths and these implications, these illustrations, lead us to a, a few applications. Let me give them to you briefly, and then we'll be done. In fact, take a picture of this because I'm not going to go over all of them. You'll want to review these later, but I'll just read through them, okay? Appreciate proper order instruction. This is difficult in America. I made a video this past week addressing some of the attitudes in our society about submission to authority. I'd come back to that. It's in America, Christians seem to have a hard time appreciating the fact that there is a chain of command at times. Usually the military don't. Military folks make great church members, by the way. Do you know that? But sometimes we have a hard time understanding, oh, there's an there's a authority structure, and there, there's actually order, and there's, there's people who can actually make decisions, and if it's not like I like perfectly, I still have to kind of submit to that. Yes! That doesn't make us evil or bad. That just makes us orderly. And leaders are involved in that, and there's followers. It's not always easy. But it's right. So I would encourage you to, to learn to appreciate proper order and structure. The kind that's biblical. And so grow in your understanding of biblical church structure. Here's a good way to do this. We have a class on our online learning website. I think if you go to ffcgrow.com, you can scan through there. There's a class called Biblical Eldership. I think it's six or seven parts. Each part's not more than about 15 minutes. I'm teaching through it. And we talk about biblical eldership. If you're unaware of kind of how this works practically, take that class. I don't think I'll leave it at that. Third application. We've been saying this since we started. I'll just read it with you. When examining an elder, look first for how his character is displayed in his home, especially in regards to his children. Fourthly, help cultivate an environment of qualifying, not criticizing. Now, here, here's the typical American church. When we don't like something, or what someone said, or what one of our leaders did, or a decision that was made, then we often resort not to the right channels or protocol, but to the wrong channels and protocol, which is kind of back channels. Criticism, gossip. I don't mean just honest disagreement, but we start, you know, maligning people's motives. In that kind of environment, it's very difficult for anyone to want to step up and lead. Did you know that? Because what they're thinking is this. Well, I don't want to get in front of those arrows. 
But in a culture where there's actually an environment where, okay, this isn't going quite the way we'd hoped, maybe instead of criticizing, why not see if you qualify for leadership? And maybe then join that team at some point. Should God lead that way? Should he call you that direction? Should there be affirmation? And make some impact in that direction. I'll never forget years ago when I heard a man say this. I didn't think of this, by the way. But he said, quit criticizing and start qualifying. And that just really hit me like, you know what? That's really good practical advice. It's easy to point a finger, isn't it? But what would you do if you were in that chair? What would you do if you were that man? There's probably a lot more factors and components than you ever have realized. So quit criticizing and consider, would God have me qualify as a leader in that role? That whole attitude helps change the culture to where then people are willing to want to lead and step up. And lastly, affirm the priority of an elder's time, which is oversight with God's word. I want to spend more time here, but I can't. Let me just simply say that our deacons make this possible here. They handle so much of the physical facility aspects. Our staff do as well. So that our elders can lend their time primarily to things that involve teaching God's word, discipling, mentoring, bringing back wandering people, correcting false doctrine. Can I say to you just in a, in a very transparent moment, listen very carefully, more of this happens than you will ever know. See, what you hear are the ones that don't go well sometimes. Every few years you hear about one that's like, they didn't listen. We worked with them for eight months, nine months. They refused to repent, and so we bring their name to you. We feel like that's the Bible's teaching called church discipline. Maybe it happens every few years. We pray it never does, but we're willing to if necessary. And it's happened a few times here. But did you know that there are many, many more stories of elders sitting down with people in their home over coffee on the phone and saying, hey, about that issue, can, can we back that truck up a bit? And the people on the other end are like, you know, you're right. I didn't even realize that. I didn't understand that. I didn't know that. Thank you. There's a lot of repentance happening that you never know about because elders are with the word providing oversight and shepherding. I praise God for that. I'm thankful that there's not a lot of the public, public discipline happening because there's a spirit of repentance among the people to the elders who are overseeing with God's word. Thank you for being a church who gives its elders time to do exactly that. All right? I want you to do this one last thing with your family. If you're there without your family or just kind of here by yourself today, just think about this on your own for a few seconds. But would you, right there where you are with your kids, will you pick one of those applications? Let's go back to those if we can. Pick one of those applications. The band's going to join me at this time. And for 90 seconds, talk about it with your kids or your spouse. This is the one that, that kind of caught your attention, piqued your interest. Which one of those? I'll give you 90 seconds. Discuss it, talk about it, and then we'll wrap up today, okay? You got 60 seconds.
28 seconds. Approximately. All right, listen up very carefully. I'm a little ahead of time here. You say, Todd, that list and those applications, those implications, the understanding of that passage, it's simple, but it is weighty. I mean, Todd, who really qualifies? I can't tell you the amount of days in reading through the pastoral epistles every single week is one thing I try to do. When I read these, um, there's a number of days I'm like, man, I, I got a long way to go, you know? At those moments, I realize that my goal is not to point you to me. I want to be copyable. I want to live towards this by God's power. But the end game is not to lift up church leaders. The end game is for church leaders to lift up Jesus. And can I say to you, church, while we we want to be copyable and we want to be accountable, we don't want you staring at us unnecessarily. The real leader here is Jesus. He's the chief shepherd, amen? He's the one that we're fixing our eyes on together. And I can say to you about the one who came and gave his life for you. He died on a cross as the perfect sacrifice. He satisfied all of God's wrath against your sin. God's crushing penalty did not fall on you, it fell on Jesus. So if you want to look to someone long term... You can glance our way, but we're going to point you to Jesus because that's where your eyes should be fixed. Here's what Peter calls him. Listen to what Peter says about him. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So we have this call, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears. Isn't that great? Yeah, you have a set of shepherds here. But you have just one chief shepherd. And he is the one who did what we're going to remember now. He died for you. None of your elders have ever done that. And if we did, it wouldn't really matter. We don't have the life or the DNA to make a difference in that. But Jesus did. He was God among us. So I hope our leadership is reflective leadership and points every single one of you to the chief shepherd, our ultimate elder, for your true and deepest satisfaction and model.